All right, everybody. You may find a seat somewhere. Make sure you guys find a table with other people. We're going to have a little bit of group activity tonight. All right. Well, if you guys don't know who I am, I'm, uh, I'm Jeffrey Odell Barnett. I'm one of the one of the few pastors in training here at the church, and I don't know really what that means yet, except for J. Rod told me that if I bombed a sermon, I, they're canceling my contract, and so that's. But uh, I don't really know yet. And also, I think they might have tomatoes back there too if I don't do good, so to kind of motivate me. But I want to start off tonight in our groups. We're gonna we're we've been studying the book of Daniel, and it's it's kind of a weird book. It's the Old Testament sometimes is seems very foreign to us because it's a very different time, very different place, culture, way of life, and so it's it's just strange to us. But I very I, I appreciate this book a lot because it it shows insight into human nature. One thing. One reason why I believe the Bible is because it's dead on as far as human behavior. Because human behavior doesn't necessarily change over time. Whether it's 10 years, 100 years, or even 1,000 years. The motivations and and behaviors are kind of the same. And so what I want to explore tonight is this idea of power and fear. And for our, our, um, our first exercise in your groups... I want you guys to share, what would you do if you had absolute power? Now, I'm not talking about the kind of power maybe Bruce Almighty have or the divine power. I'm talking about kingly power. You know, the, the, the kind of power you feel when you're on a risk board and you're conquering nations and people are bowing down. No, people are bowing down before you. But what would you do, say, if you're the king of the United States or, the, or some kind of royal king? What would you do? What Name one thing you would do. And I'll give you guys... A few minutes to talk about this in your group and be realistic. Go ahead. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose on two tables. I think I'm gonna choose on. Uh, let's bring it back. All right. What did you guys say? Legalize marijuana. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm, I'm joking. What'd you, what would you guys do? Name one person. Helping the poor. Okay. How about uh, this? With housing? Hey, just one thing. Just one thing. Prayer back in school. And I'll go with... Uh, I'll say... Or, yeah, you guys. What? Stop abortion. All right. I wish I could call on everybody I can't. Well, you guys had very noble ideas. My idea was to take all our criminals and put them on an island called Australia because it seemed like it worked well. It seemed like our prison system's not working. And now Australia is a great place to live because that's what the English did. It worked out great. But um, the reason why I wanted to do this exercise is... Uh, not to feel like we're kings or whatnot, but to, because as Americans, we don't really understand what it's like to live our life under a dictatorship 
or even under communism, or even under a monarchy, or under a king. I mean, I mean, some of you guys who are political may, may seem or think that you know America's turning into that, but our country isn't like that at all. I've been to a, a post-communist country, and it's crazy because imagine that a person who has absolute power over your life your property, and what you're going to do. They would tell you what your job was going to be, and you would do it. And if not, then you'd probably disappear. And in reality, that this was the time that Daniel was living in. You know, he was living under a king, under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who had absolute power over the nations. And if you don't remember, if you've been with us, previously in our story, Nebuchadnezzar gave an order to summon all the wise men, all the priests, mediums, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to interpret this dream that he was having, a dream that he didn't understand and a dream that was disturbing him. And he also threatened them that if you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a garbage dump. So quite a fearful um, thing that he's pronouncing. And luckily... That didn't happen because Daniel intervenes and he prevents these census killings because the Lord had both shown him the dream and its interpretation. If you remember, there's this statue that uh, he showed him. He kind of the dream meant um, was about all these empires that were going to be coming after him and how in Daniel two. I'll just read it. It says, "Your Majesty, you are the King of Kings. The God of Heaven has given you sovereignty, power." strength and glory wherever people live or wild animals or birds of the air he has handed them over to you and made you ruler over them all you are that head of gold i think i have a head of gold up there he was just he was the magnificent king of an empire that was probably one of the greatest empires of this world and he was in charge of it now what was the king's response? Does anybody remember what was his response when Daniel revealed this to him? Anybody? How did the king? How did king? How did the king respond to this when he? Yeah, he was in shock and he fell down. He actually says he fell down and paid homage to Daniel. And he says in Daniel two forty seven says, "Your God is indeed God of gods, Lord of kings, and revealers of mysteries. Since you're able to reveal this." mystery and so we see that there's this kind of this moment of humility of but this repentance is short-lived and we're going to see what the great king does tonight you know this is many years have passed and he's going to be building this statue and so if you guys will please stand we're going to get into this text if you're able kind of kick off the night and this is in uh chapter three Verse, this is 1-13. says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you are the God of mysteries, Lord, that you give us wisdom and knowledge, Lord. And I pray that tonight, God, that you would do that, Lord, that if there's any kind of um, confusion, Lord, that you would uh, wipe that away, God. And clear our minds to hear your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
So right from the get-go, we see what he does. He builds a, a large statue covered with gold. And that's not just gold leafing. That's probably real gold right there. And um, why do you guys think he does that? Where do you think that he... Where do you think he got that idea? You know, I don't think... I, I just wake up one day and just think, you know, I'm going to build a gigantic statue in my backyard. Where, did he, where does he get that idea? Does anybody have an idea? From the dream. Yeah, the author is clearly showing us that it comes from Daniel's interpretation, right? He says, you are that head of gold, given sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. And so maybe one day he just woke up. He's like, you know what? That statue is pretty awesome. But except for, instead of having different metals and stuff, I'm going to just make it all gold because I'm awesome. So that's pretty much why he does that. And if you don't know why that's not a good idea... Or why you shouldn't go and try to do that in your backyard. Well, that's because in one of the Ten Commandments uh, that the Lord gives to Moses, he talks about in, in Exodus, he says, You should not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in, in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You know, we shouldn't be making these huge statues, and yet he does it, and... What I want to focus on for kind of this segment is why. Why does he do it? You know, this seems like it's, um, it's pretty elaborate to, to go ahead and do this. This would have cost millions of dollars and have taken thousands of hours of manpower to uh, build this. So why does he do it? And I, as I read, I want to see if you guys can kind of figure out why and come to some conclusions to it. And so I'll, let's pick up in verse 2. Since King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up, And a herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So why do you guys think he does it? Imagine this scene, you know, this, this large statue and thousands of people of different languages, um, different nations, all the governors of the provinces, you know, anybody who's anybody, the treasurers, the satraps, all these people assembled, all kinds of music, all kinds of instruments going on, and people bowing down before this statue. Why, why does he do this? You know, what is, what is his motivation behind this? And I was thinking about that, and I believe that what one thing that had happened was that he started to believe 
that the gift that God had given him, the gift of power, the gift of authority, that the gift of even ruling was to be used on elevating himself. You know, he kind of took that dream and he made it a reality. And sometimes that's what we do as well. We may not be like King Nebuchadnezzar. We may not have millions of dollars and have many subjects under us. But we do have some level of influence, some level of wealth, talent, or ability that sometimes we, we tend to want to use on elevating ourselves instead on other people. You know, I had this um, thought the other day. I was walking in my backyard, and I kind of realized that, you know what? Orange trees don't drink orange juice. I was just like, why do fruit trees make fruit? Because... You know, there's seeds in there, you know, animals eat it, but they don't, they don't eat their own food. And I was kind of thinking that for ourselves, you know, the fruit that we produce, the gifts and things that we have are primarily for other people and not just for ourselves. And so that kind of just gave me an insight onto possibly uh, what we need to do. And secondly, if you're into politics, this is a no-brainer. You know, this is easy. If, you're, if you've been in the military or... It's easy to understand what he's trying to do. You know, he's building this huge monument, and he's trying to consolidate all his power, all his authority, and lord it over all his subjects. And in this time period, that's common. It's common for these great kings to assemble everybody and make them take a loyalty oath. And that's why he does it. That's why he gathers all these government authorities, anybody who's anybody, and it's supposed to be this public display and recognition submission to his absolute authority in his kingdom. And I have to wonder as well that I know sometimes that great rulers also have great fear. I remember reading something about Joseph Stalin, a man who had great power in the Soviet Union, and how at night, or I mean, he had a house that was built that had multiple bedrooms that were pretty much the same, but multiple bedrooms and locked doors. And I was reading that every night he would choose a different room to sleep in. Now, he wouldn't stay in the same room each night out of fear of being killed and possibly losing his power. And you have to wonder, was there fear in Nebuchadnezzar's heart? Did he see that, wait a minute, this kingdom is not going to last forever. There's kingdoms coming after me. And possibly even rulers coming after me. And so I see it an attempt to grip on the grip tighter upon what he has. And it's because of fear. And ironically, he uses fear to subjugate the people under him. And lastly, on a religious level, you know, if you if you see in verse five, it says, When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, every kind of music, you are to fall down. And worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. He's not simply asking them to just bow down and and to honor his name. He's asking them to worship it. Which is, in a sense, another way of gaining power. Can you guys think of anybody who has declared themselves both uh, head of state and head of religion? Or even created a state religion so they could do whatever they want? (laughs) One person that comes to mind is, I think King Henry did that. I think he created the Church of England so he could divorce one of his wives because divorce wasn't permissible under the church. 
back then. But that's, but that's how the, the heart operates. When, when, God, when we don't believe that God's in control and we don't allow him to be in his throne, that we're going to do everything to glorify ourselves, and we're going to make other people follow suit and believe in that lie as well. And it's just ironic that it wasn't enough for him. You know, the human authority wasn't enough, and he took it further and also wanted to kind of take the place of the divine. You know, he wanted to glorify himself with his statue. And that's where the conflict in our story arises, is because if, you, if you've known the history of Israel, that they were taken uh, in, in captivity in Babylon. Jews were taken in captivity there. And for them, growing up with the law, they realized, like, there's something wrong with this picture. And so we're going to see what's going to happen when uh, the people of God do something that is unexpected. You know, when everybody else is bowing down before the statue, we're going to see what's going to happen in the following verses. In verse 8, it says, Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone hears the sound of the horn, flute, zyre, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Then, in a furious rage... Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Now, unfortunately tonight, we don't, we don't get to know what happens next. You know, they, they only allowed me to go to verse 13. I don't know why. That's just, they cut me off and then they weren't, didn't allow me to go any further than that. But some of you, you might know the story. Some of you might. But I, I want to I stay kind of in this, in this moment. And I want to talk about fear. Because I think fear has to do with what happens next. You know, they're, they're called before the king. You know, they're, they're maliciously accused. You know, there's, there's, their enemies have kind of lied in ambush and seen an opportunity and decided, hey, you know, these guys aren't, following along like everybody else. So why don't we um, rat on them and point them out so that we can leverage a better position for our king? And you have to think, that's, that's, it's kind of crazy that they would experience this because if you remember, uh, they had been elevated to such a high position under Daniel as rulers of provinces. And in the next moment, they are pretty much in danger of fire. It says in verse 11, it says, Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace, a blazing fire. Now, I don't know if it's because I've watched too many movies, but I think being burned alive is possibly one of the worst ways to die. I, I would not want that to happen to me. And I even, you know, I know, I don't even want to bring it up, but there's people in this world that do that to people. And it's just disturbing. It's just the most horrific thing you could do to another human being. And, 
If that, if that doesn't make you fearful of, you know, not knowing if you're going to be burned alive in the next moment, I don't know what, what will make you fearful. But anyways, I want, to, I want to speak more about this fear, about what can happen. And, I've, and I remember that someone said, I don't remember who quoted it, but they said that most of our decisions in life are motivated from a place of fear of what could happen today or tomorrow. And I'll say that again. It says, most of our decisions in life are motivated from a place of fear of what could happen today or tomorrow. You know, imagine that. Life sometimes can take an interesting turn. One moment, things are going well. The next moment, your joy is stripped away. Or even a visit to the doctor's office and a, and a, and a, and a bad diagnosis can, can change your life and bring tremendous fear into your life. Well, the, new, the good news is, is that Christ, no matter what situation we're in, no matter what season, no matter how bad the world gets or how out of control it gets, that he wants to uh, allow us to remain in his peace and to not remain in fear. And I had this verse from John 14, 27, and he's speaking to his disciples before he's crucified. And I, and I just love this. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, fear isn't the spirit that is given to us by God. He gives us peace, and he gives us assurance. And I love the, the Hebrew word for peace. It reveals a lot. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom, which uh, primarily means wholeness. And when I think of the word wholeness, I have this, this picture of being free from anything that tugs on you. I have this picture of these puppets, in a sense. It's kind of imagine... Imagine... Fear, and fear are those strings that pull on you, that almost manipulate you in order to move in a certain way. And that word shalom is being made whole, and I think that it's almost being free of anything that can hold you or anything that can control you in that sort of way. And so, the truth is, is that God, that He knows that as long as we remain in fear that we cannot live in his freedom and experience his plans and purposes in our life. I actually uh, was looking at pictures of puppets and I found some really scary ones. I didn't want to scare anybody because there was a movie I saw a long time ago with little puppets and it scared me. (laughs) I didn't want to do that. So I I found that. But I love that illustration of just of the things that 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 are attached to us, that cause us to to act or to feel a certain way or even to make us physically sick. And a a quote I wanted to bring tonight was from Graham Cook. He's a a pastor or a preacher that talks a lot about rest in God. And And he says this, he says, When God is teaching us trust, he's actually teaching us how to kill off anxiety, fear, panic, and worry. He writes, You can't trust the Lord and be anxious. They can't exist in the same space at the same time. One of them has to go, 
and you get to choose. Now, what I think Graham is is saying is that this is a process that we get to grow into. You know, as we as we develop in faith, as we begin to uh, have a greater relationship with Christ and to see His character and and see that uh, He does fulfill His promises, that we can begin this lifestyle of putting away fear and instead exchanging that with peace. I know in my life, God has actually allowed certain trials to happen to me or certain chaotic things to happen so that I would learn how to kill off anxiety, how to kill off fear, how to do away with panic, and that I would have a greater opportunity to show faith. God allows those things sometimes in our life to to show us a better way and to show us that his peace is stronger than anything in this world. And I've just been reading a lot of stuff by uh, Graham. He talks a lot about rest, and I'm, I, I realize that rest is one of the most powerful things in our Christian walk, which seems so unusual. You know, the, the Christian church, we're, we're so focused sometimes on works or doing things, and, and yet he speaks about resting in God by taking our full weight and resting upon everything that he is, and by doing so, we will see uh, just great, great things in our life and in the church. Well, if everything's kind of been going a little bit over your head, I want to kind of share a little story about a man uh, who had to face his fears. And I was so thankful that Kate actually was up here. I think she did an amazing job, and she shared her heart and her struggles just about anxiety and things because I, I just love it when we can be real in here. And talk about things that really affect us deeply. But this is a story of a, of a man who was uh, younger and he had, a, he had to face his fears. And this is, will help illustrate some things. He says, one year when I was a young man, I visited my uncle's farm. I was walking with my cousins out in the yard. And when we turned the corner around the barn, his dogs caught a glimpse of me. And they took me by surprise. They came running and barking towards me. And I was so startled that I instantly turned and ran away, and I jumped onto the back of my uncle's pickup truck to escape. I turned and looked, and to my surprise, they were only small dogs, and I shouldn't have been afraid at all. The next day, I was uh, walking in his yard, and I was feeling anxious, and, and I was looking around, and all of a sudden, I started hearing those, those barking again, and started hearing the, the rattle of their chains coming towards me. Well, in my emotion, I wanted to turn and run. But my cousins told me, hey, you know, just hold your ground. And so I listened to what they had to say. I held my ground. I even kicked a rock at one of the little dogs. It yelped. And to my surprise, it ran away along with the rest of them. Well, what power did fear have over this man? What, What did it influence? And if you look, the very first thing it influenced was his emotions. He felt terror. The next day, he he even felt anxious, right? When he was walking around, he wasn't at peace. So it affects your emotions. But also, it affects you physically. Because what did he do with his emotions? Well, he believed the emotion. And he fulfilled the emotion by turning and running. It actually made him jump onto onto the top of a pickup truck. And lastly, I think fear, it, it affected his spirit. Because it took away his rest. 
it made him uneasy. And I even think that in that moment, if he would have ran away again, that that, that would have created a pattern of fear in his life. Maybe he would have been afraid of, of dogs his whole life because he didn't stand his ground. Now, this kind of seems like a, a silly illustration, but that's what I believe fear to be. Is fear is like this small dog with a loud bark that, that sometimes takes us by surprise. And the Lord is the one that is telling us to stand our ground. You know, he's the one that says, I'm here with you. Don't be afraid. Don't run. And just watch what happens to your fear. Watch it melt away before you. And the truth is, is that everybody in this room comes from different circumstances, different backgrounds, different upbringings. There's, there's a lot of different kinds of fear in this room. Maybe some people are uh, afraid of having a pimple and showing up to school. Maybe some people are afraid that, of getting cancer. And, and they're trying to eat the right things. Some are afraid they may not have enough money for retirement. And there's even different kinds of fears that we may have when we grow up. Maybe uh, a spider fell on you one day and you have a fear of spiders that you're, you're afraid of. And so the thing is, is that I want you guys to kind of explore this in groups. We all have different fear. And I want to do another activity tonight. And uh, the thing that I wrote down is that um, if you feel comfortable, describe a significant fear that you face today or something that has been a recurrent pattern in your life. Think about what are some of those things that might be tugging at you. And sometimes we may not know. And so just try your best, and I think it would be helpful to share maybe some of the things facing us today. And I'll give you guys a few more minutes. Go ahead. All right, guys, you may wrap it up. You may wrap it up. Does anybody know the definition of insanity here? See, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same result. Or expecting a different result. Sorry, I get that wrong. Hey, I'm, I'm in training here, so it's okay. I got that backwards. I got dyslexia, I guess. I can't use that. I can't use that excuse. But as human beings, don't you, have you ever seen somebody they do the same thing over and over again? They, they expect something different. Even us, sometimes it's like, we get stuck in a rut and we think, oh, I, I'm just going to just keep doing what I'm going to do. And, and yet, as human beings, in order to have something you never have had before, you've got to do something you've never done before. You know, I heard a preacher say that under a bridge. He says, sometimes you've got to do something you've never done before to get something you never had. You've got to take a step. You take a step in faith. Because the truth is, is that, you know, I wish I could wave my hand or the pastor can wave his hand and the fears to go away. Or the Lord even, the Lord even just to remove the fears instantly. But that's not how it works because what our responsibility is, it's our responsibility to stand firm. To trust God. To not run away in fear. And sometimes we got to take meaningful steps to do this. But also... 
it, it's important for us to know that it's God's responsibility to not forsake us. You know, it's, it's his responsibility to be our helper, to be our encourager, our strength, our rock, and peace that we rely on through the process of restoration. And I just want to close with some practical steps because if maybe some of you guys shared some significant fears at the table, but these are things that, like the song we, we sing, um, No Longer Slaves, these are things that enslave us, that keep us from truly living in the freedom of Christ. And Christ doesn't want us to be slaves. He wants us to be his children. He wants us to be free. So in closing, I have a, I have a few steps, practical steps I wrote down. Keep going. Not that one. The orange one. There it is. And these are not in any particular order, but one of the steps you can take is repentance and confession. You know, changing your mind upon it. And applying faith by believing the truth. Resisting the fear, lie, or Satan. You know, that's one of the things that I put on your table is that sometimes... um, our thoughts and the world or the enemy bombards us. And so I put a paper there so that you can look at. And I have that in my desk. I read some of the truths that God has written about us and about who we are in Christ. Those are some of the things that are helpful. And those are tools that we can use to combat fear. And fortunately, I had this, I was thinking about it. You know, it's not enough just to have knowledge. You know, knowledge is like tools in a shed. You can have all the tools in the world, but if you never use them, you're never going to go anywhere. And so it's not, it's not enough to have just the knowledge. We have to be using this truth. We have to be applying it in our lives. Second thing is to find a trusted friend, pastor, or counselor to journey with you. You know, you guys are here tonight. That's a good sign that you're in a community and and want to be around a community and grow together. Uh, third is attend a Christian recovery group. We have a great uh, restore group on Tuesday nights that I've been attending for a few months, and it's changed my life. I think everybody here should at least attend a meeting because you can say crazy stuff in that group. You can be like, I was on the freeway today, and some guy cut me off, and I wanted to run him off the road and strangle him. And no one's going to say anything, you know. It's, they'll be like, oh, that's interesting, you know. Maybe... <laughs> I felt that the other day, you know. But that's the, that's the truth is that a lot of churches, unfortunately, it makes me sad. A lot of churches say, come as you are. But don't bring your, don't bring your baggage and don't bring your dirty laundry. That's, that's the reality today. And if we can't come to a place and air out some of the dirty laundry, air out the baggage, then, then there's no point. And that's a great group. This is a great church where you can do that. You can be who you are and allow us to love you and to grow with you in this journey. And lastly, you get prayer support. We have a new prayer team. We have some prayer counseling because prayer is a mighty tool that can break down strongholds. Things are patterns that, uh, that have existed in our lives. You know, things that even generational that come down that affect us. Prayer can be a great tool to break that. And so... I just want to pray us out tonight. If you guys, um, I hope you guys take that, some of those steps right there or even the paper right there. And I just want to pray for us tonight and um, pray for continuing to grow in God's grace. 
Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for everybody, every man, woman, and child here in this room. Lord, you know the significant things that we face each day, the, the fears that we face, or the anxiety, Lord. Or, or There's so many things, God, that press towards us, Lord, and demand us to, to move in a certain way or to act in a certain way, Lord. But I pray, God, that we would be people, God, who have the courage to stand firm, Lord, to, to trust you and to grow in faith in you, Lord. And so I just pray a blessing upon everybody here, Lord, and upon myself, Lord, that we can uh, know you even greater, Lord, and that we can be free. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, guys.